Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Is this the Muley Slayer? <laughs> it is, man. What's up? What's up, buddy? Found you. You didn't change your number on me. That's good. We're still friends. <laughs> huh? We're still friends, I guess. You didn't change your number on me. No. <laughs> <laughs> trying to go to... Uh... Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I like it better when I use my earbuds and not my uh hand tree in the truck i got boone diggity in here with me so he gets to bark if he gets to barking and carrying on i'll make him shut up but <laughs> he comes to work with me about every other day and man he's uh he's back here in the back seat enjoying some cool air conditioning right now <laughs> you know i told my wife we've got two dogs and they're uh they're not old old but they're getting up there um an old black lab and she's she's gonna be uh let's see she's 10 now or yeah. she she will be ten, and then uh, actually one of her pups, and he's he's eight, and uh, I said, you know, when we uh, when we get the, rid of these dogs, leave us or whatever, and we get another dog, so I think I'm gonna get one of those like lap dogs like Mark's got, you know, just like <laughs> a personal yeah. little bodyguard because you can take them anywhere. So, oh man, he's awesome. I can't I, believe I, I haven't met met Boone yet. You will meet Boone someday, and I tell, <laughs> I tell everybody, and it's it's pathetic, but I I love and trust Boone more than like ninety five percent of the human beings I know. Man, <laughs> you guys never let me down not one time. Well, he pooped in my office the first time I brought him here, and that that brought me down a little bit. But other than that, we worked that out, and he's good to go. But <laughs> nice, and I never saw myself as a small dog guy you know always wanted like a blue tick or something i thought i'd grow up and get a blue tick and i've had every other thing you can imagine um but when we started doing this adoption thing you know we 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 do rescue dogs we don't buy akc registered nothing you know we just adopt like ginger we have boone ginger and boogie um i told chris though the next one i want to i don't want any more until these are gone unless we ever see Another men pin born with three legs or one leg gets chopped off. I'm gonna I'm gonna get him and name him Amos Moses. <laughs> <laughs> get him. that way. Yeah. Should, little Amos Moses, so you should get him with the, the you seen those with the little rollers they have when they only have like two legs or one leg or something like that's gone. Yeah. And they give him, <laughs> they give him a little Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. name him I'm gonna name him Amos Moses and tell everybody he's my alligator hunter, so <laughs> only got three legs alligator bit it anyway that's what's that's what's we're here at work and chilling and yeah so if if you can't tell this is clearly episode 39 of the finding backcountry podcast with mark smith (laughs) oh man it's good to have you on you are i believe aside from Corey, you're the first uh repeat repeat offender repeat repeat customer yeah sweet you know i saw uh 
I saw Big Chief Wackabuck, Henry Ferguson's name pop up on your thing the other day. Was that just his first time or was that his yeah. second time? No, that was his first time. We talked to Arrows and, of course, you know, a few mule deer. Yeah. yeah. Henry's good people, man. I've known him a long time. I like that guy. Yeah. He's a killer. He's a killer. Yeah, cool, is. man. How how you been, man? It's been a while. It's been good. You know, in, re, in the refrigeration world, this is my busy season, so I've not been involved in the late-night tech sessions with you guys lately talking about our dreams and aspirations to kill giant mule deer. I've been uh, – I, I, I stay pretty focused, and then uh, and then I, I, I try to go to bed at a normal time. But this time of year, just because I never know what the day's going to throw at me, but uh, just had a huge – I just had a huge month of June. I had – I've had my daughter and her kids in for – almost three weeks i guess that's been three weeks over three weeks maybe and uh we had the 50th anniversary for my in-laws and so all the kids and cousins and everybody flew in so between our houses and travis's house we've had a house full but able to slip off down to the lease a couple of times and uh take the grandkids fishing and took i gave my daughter a rifle and she went and killed her a big 200 pound boar with it last weekend down the bottom so that was that was awesome so yeah i saw that that was uh that's gotta be pretty neat huh oh yeah man what is i never realized that you know my daughter a hunter she owns a bow i've never given her a gun that's very uncharacteristic of me i've given travis a few and i never gave casey any and so i was gonna take her down there hunting and i thought man i just wanted to have her own gun so I gave her the old 725-06. It's been a, I think, just a tag driver. So mm-hmm. it's a good gun for her to handle, and uh, she shoots it really good. So that was that was a real neat deal to give her a gun and once her go knock down a big old boar with it, shot him, shot him in the head, you know, about 50 yards. But <laughs> I told her, I said, shoot, you know, in the broadside, I showed her pictures of him. She's killed a lot of hogs with bows, but I don't think she'd ever kill him with a gun. And I said, shooting us 25, and if you shoot those big boars up there in the shoulders – they're hard to find in a thicket you know they don't bleed much all that cartilage and fat i said just drop him you'll know where he's at well i showed her a picture i said triangulate between his ear and his eye come right back toward the neck and the brains right there shoot him in the head well this boar comes in and faces us and she shoots and man down he goes and i go over there and she shot that hog between the eye and the ear facing us so she threaded that needle like <laughs> that's a very small target and she shot him perfect so that's I had to brag on her that's an excellent shot uh you know what i've found at least in my my small little experience hunting with with uh, girls is i think they're better shots than guys honestly they are way better um, there's no there's no ego and i think they yeah. feel like they have to overcompensate or something and they don't want to let their daddy down so they put all of their focus and and they just have ice water in their veins when it comes to being killers, man. At least my family, they are. So. Yeah, yeah. My sister, she, uh, she's only shot a, a couple deer in her life. Um, but man, there was, there's been a couple where you're just like, really? That's the shot you made, you know? And you hear the story. And but if you, especially you get them a rest, you know, or they just they don't have to hold up a, you know, an eight pound gun or something like that. Yeah. Um, man, tack drivers usually, from what I've seen, but. Mm-hmm. that's cool man um yeah it's been uh it's been a minute we uh what what do you got uh you know we we have like our group text and we kind of have a general idea of what we're doing but just just kind of uh explain where you're at for the year and what you got coming up well man i'll tell you i uh i 
it's just tough, man. Getting mule deer tags. I keep saying it and, uh, I didn't believe it as much. I was saying it now I'm really starting to believe it is that, man, they're just getting tougher and tougher to get even easy tags. And so this is the second straight year in a row. I didn't draw a general archery tag in Utah. I put in for the same unit and I didn't draw it. So I got another point. So I'll be going into next year with two points for general deer tag in Utah. Uh, Colorado, I got lucky. I had a point. I thought with the, the tag creep with the new uh, pay structure in Colorado, I wouldn't get a tag. Yeah. But I did. And uh, I did get my uh, my rifle tag for that second season rifle hunt. So I'm excited about that. Didn't apply for Nevada. I put in for tags. I thought I'd get New Mexico and I didn't. So here, last year, you know, I'd even hunt mule deer. First time in 25 years or so, I didn't hunt them. Well, I said, well, I'll go into 2018 with a, you know, with a bang. You know, I'll have several tags and just lay it down. Well, here I sat in July almost, and I got one tag, which it's okay. It's a great tag, but I still wish I had a bow hunting tag. So last minute, I figured out I still had a, a sliver of a chance to get a tag, and I applied for the Navajo uh, early archery hunt. So there's only two tags per listing two of the units. There's only two tags for non-residents, non-Navajos, and then one unit, there's one tag. So a total of five archery tags in the units that I know. And I put in for one praying that maybe I get one of those, but so yeah. if I get one of those, I'll have a bow hunt again. If not, man, it's going to be, uh, nine days in the high country of Colorado in October with my weather be just waiting for the right one to come along. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the application structure, you know, it's a it, it's a sweet and sour, you know, because on on the one hand, every year there's um, states that you know they either drag out their results for so long, or they don't even you can't even put in for Arizona, for example, the you know the deadline just passed for the application. You know, I just put yeah. my and and on the one hand, I'm like, man, like why do we have to wait so long to find out or why, like, why do you push your thing back so far? Like, I just want to apply and get in and draw my tag. But then on the other hand, um, years that I don't draw tags early, at least, you know, in some of the early States, like Utah's fairly early. Um, then you can kind of use that and react and say, Oh, okay, well, you know, I didn't draw there. And normally maybe I would just put in for bonus points in Arizona um, I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm going to, now I don't have as many, any, it, you know, I didn't get a tag that I thought I would get. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apply in Arizona rather than just sit on a point or something like that. So it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's sweet and sour. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. It's tough. I was dead set on going to Idaho for like the third year straight in a row. If I don't draw nothing, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And the other, but uh, Idaho is one of those things where, man, and the option's always there. You know, it has been always there as an option. And, and, and you just find other ways not to go do something new. At least I do. I think I talked on the last podcast it's with Robbie. It stresses me out to have to do something new. I'm, <laughs> I'm 47. I, get, I take vacations and I go hunting. I want to go to places I know and shoot deer how I know how to shoot them. That's just what I like to do. Well, the younger adventurous me was out there always hunting new areas. And it was, I come, you know, I spent a lot of time in deerless country. Now that I'm older, my time is such a commodity that I don't want to spend any time in deerless country. I want to go to where there are deer, find a big one, shoot it and, and enjoy it. So going to Idaho is like, I guess I just, 
in my old age, man, I just, I'm like, you know, unless somebody <laughs> holds me by the hand and walks me up this ridge with a bunch of big bucks, I'm not probably ever going to go there. I was all dead set to go on this backpack trip and Travis was going to go and we were going to do all this thing. And Robbie had me lined out on his tag to get and all this. And, uh, life comes along. Travis can't afford it. My gumption kind of fizzles out and we're moving on to something else, you know, but anyway, I do you, I be it. do you think I've had this thought for a while? Do you think, uh, a, do you think, over-the-counter opportunities are going to completely go away? And if so, how how soon do you think that would happen, like states like Idaho? They're going away all the time, man. And, and, and Idaho, I think just because of what – because of – I mean, look, I had two – I had a point going into the general archery hunt in Utah. People that live in, in, in mule deer country, you're going to mule deer hunt. They're going to hunt deer. They want to hunt. And uh, especially passionate bow hunters, you know, they're going to want to get out there and chase bucks. So um, here's a guy in Texas with a bonus point that can't even, a preference point, can't come to Utah and hunt for the second year in a row. Uh, think, imagine how the guys in Utah feel, you know, or Colorado or whatever. Now Colorado's done what they've done with the draw and, you know, made it so much easier to apply because you're not putting any money really up front. So, I think the places uh, like Idaho, I think I even saw something maybe on Eastman's or something on the internet where Idaho had a big influx of applications because their deadline was later or something. And, and, and now their opportunity, you're going to have all these dudes that didn't get tagged going to pile into that state. Idaho's either going to say, Hey, we can't even manage this the way it is, or they're going to just get the, the, the greedy, you know, the greed that everybody else gets and find ways to make money off applications. And then it'll just all be a draw. It might be some guaranteed, you know, like, uh, like the unlimited hunch, but you have to apply just to make more money off of the application. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that could go away. Uh, Arizona is still pretty old school, man. And I don't, I don't think they get the influx just because of how difficult and how limited the resources there and how difficult the terrain is. And I mean, Arizona is just a tough hunt period. So I think Arizona probably will be the last of the Mohicans, man. I think they'd be the last ones to go down before there's no over the counter opportunity for the bow hunt, just because it's, you know, it's a really large state, really sparse deer management and uh, deer herd. And, and just people just don't have the gumption to go, beat themselves up in the desert for weeks at a time trying to shoot their deer like you know yeah. or in idaho you can just get back in the mountains and do like a high country hunt or something yeah and that's that's the key to the arizona thing is like people want to eat their cake and have it too right like mm -hmm. they they want to they want these over-the-counter opportunities and they want to kill 200 inch deer and yeah. you know that's that's where i think utah um is trying to you know utah has always frustrated me because on the one hand they have they have probably the arguably some of the best um, habitat in the West, and then they also have generally as a state a group of people who think that everyone should have a tag every year, and then mm -hmm. and then the third key to that is they're always complaining that you know oh, all I can find is a two point. Well, you know what what do you want? Do you want quality or do you want tags? Um, you know, and that Arizona is a good example. Yeah, it's over the counter. Um, we went and scouted it last year. We didn't end up hunting it, but we scouted it. And from what I've seen, you know, social media and just like, I don't think you're going to find a 200 incher, generally speaking. I think that if you find a 160 and you don't chase them and try to tip it over, um, you know, you're probably, you're probably going to go without, but 
Yeah, it's yeah. It, it's interesting. You know that the whole Idaho thing too, and and just the the over the counter opportunities. Um, the other point I wanted to make and see what your opinion was is, you know, we we hear on on the one hand we hear like, and I I agree with what you're saying that these over the counter opportunities. Um, are probably going to go away. It just makes sense. Uh, but on the other hand, we hear like, oh, hunter numbers are declining. And I'm just, I'm curious, I have my own idea, but what, why do you think, you know, because to me, that's oxymoron. Like, why do you think uh, tags would be getting harder to draw and over-the-counter opportunity is going to go away if if the overall population of um, licensed hunters is going down? Well, the overall licensed hunters are going down, but also specifically mule deer numbers are going down just throughout the mule deer aren't thriving anywhere you know they're not they're there's not like in the 70s or in the 90s you know where we have this influx of mule deer um just coming on so i don't think those two things coincide i don't i don't believe hunter numbers shrinking have anything to do with deer numbers shrinking let's talk about mule deer i think mule deer numbers are just shrinking throughout the West because of encroachment, wells, oil wells, drilling, whatever, predators. die-offs. Uh, yeah, predators not being controlled is a major one throughout the West. Every Colorado. <laughs> yeah, Colorado <Bears>. is, <laughs> they're, just, they're just, it's moronic to not have a spring bear hunt when you got bears tearing up every cabin in, in La Plata County. You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. That, that whole Colorado thing is just I've got a really bad taste in my mouth for that state right now just because of a whole lot of stuff. But the spring bear hunt, that's legislation. I don't think it'll ever change that now because of the tree huggers. But uh, <laughs> that that thing needs to change. The bear, bears eat fawns, man. And, and, you know, everything eats fawns. Fawns are just like – Oh, it's... Fawns are just for the pickings, man. In Texas, it's the fire ants and the hogs will eat up your, your fawns. Out there, it's the – you know, the Navajo – where I hunted for years, we used to just buy the tag. We didn't even apply because there was going to be 200 tags or there's whatever tags you'd get them. Well, man, they never managed their mountain lion herd. They just didn't have mountain lion hunts. Nobody was interested. And, you know, a friend of mine, Abel Peters, killed that gigantic cat up there where I hunt. That thing had to have been eating mule deer. And mule deer don't, or mountain lions don't eat fawns. You know, mountain lions eat solo mature bucks. That's what they, they, they love those things. So they're killing your big bucks, your little bucks, your fawns, whatever they can get their hands on. Well, if you're not controlling those predators, I'm on a tent range right now, man. <laughs> but if you don't control your predators, you're not going to have it. Yeah. And so I don't think that, I don't think, I just don't believe I think, uh, you know, all this goes back to just our country being full of snowflakes and softies. And, you know, even my wife married to me for 30 years. She doesn't like it if I have anything to do with bear hunting or uh, uh, predator hunting on TV. She can't st- stand the sound of like that call, the di- the distress call. Yeah. And here is a seasoned, hardened woman that understands hunting better than anybody. E- loves eats that meat. eats it, yeah. eats meat. But when she walks in the living room and I'm watching Johnny Morris and, and, and Fred Eichler mowing down coyotes and stuff with their rifles and they got, you know, predator calls going, then you shoot a coyote in the ass running. He starts squealing and hollering. Women and children don't like to hear that because it sounds too much like boom when the door slams on his tail. You know, it sounds too much like a domestic thing. And and uh, I love predator hunting. I personally am not a bear hunter. I'm not a big predator hunter, but I shoot them when I see them to manage them where I hunt. But I think that that is unattractive to the non-hunting group. And so I think, 
you know, it's just really hard to attract new predator hunters until you actually take someone in the field, take the time, show them how to do it, have some success at shooting some animals like that. Well, then they real they realize how cool it is. But let's just just say most people they're flipping through the channels, see that, and go, oh golly, that's so they're not they're not going to make them run to Walmart, buy the Primo's Predator Call and the Johnny Moore's Fox Pro, blah, 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 and a twenty two two fifty, and go out and find a place to shoot coyotes. Mm-hmm. Whereas they walk through the living room, they're soft-spoken Will Primo's talking about the beauty and majesty of the mountains and the elk, and then he shoots one with a bow and he gets it, and it's this glorified thing. And then every dude that saw that back in 1992 on the Truth Two Big Bulls ran straight to Walmart and got a Terminator Bugle and a Hoochie Mama <laughs> and ran out and wanted to go elk hunting. It's all how you attract people into it. Maybe a whole nother conversation, but I think all of this stuff goes hand in hand. Predator control, attracting people into the sport, but specifically speaking about mule deer, those numbers are shrinking. It's just a shrinking opportunity. And I think there's there's something, I mean, we can work together. We can bring it back. But yeah. I think that alone is a shrinking opportunity that's going to make over-the-counter deer hunting just really just a, a, a thing of the past but all other hunting included whitetail hunting hog hunting you know hog hunting is huge here in the south and then in texas that's you know that's something where you can have instant success you can make it look fun on tv and i think there needs to be more good not some redneck with a buoy knife jumping in a slough stabbing a hog to death that's that's cool there's a place for that but i think if you're going to attract women and children they need to show really nice hog hunts where they, they go out and, they, and somebody's strategically put up feeders and blinds and got hogs moving into a property and shooting them and then showing the usefulness of the meat you know eating those hogs not going out in a helicopter killing 500 of them piling mm-hmm. them up and lighting them on fire that's that's not going to attract anybody either i don't yeah. think unless you're just some crazy redneck that wants to do it anyway yeah. you know what i mean well <laughs> the, so there's there's a few points that i, I want to touch on that you made and and the first one is just a simple one and that is yeah everyone like no one's i've heard joe rogan talk about this no one's has a problem with people killing pigs because everyone you know it's just oh that's just bacon and pigs are gross you know and so yeah. it's, it's like yeah mow them down you know nobody nobody has a problem with that um, another point I wanted to make that you touched on is is kind of how your wife perceives bears and predators in general. And I think, and I've heard this point made before too, and so it's not necessarily my thought, but I'm just regurgitating. Um, that's that's the Disney perception. You know, Snyder talks about this all the time. You know, that's that's the Disney world that we grow up in. And uh, at least if you're, you know, 30-something, you grew up with Disney. Not anymore. I don't know what the kids watch anymore, but... You know, bears were fluffy and cuddly and nice and funny and like, you know, they weren't um, they weren't food. They were, you know, they were funny characters on these Disney shows. And it makes it hard for people, um, especially people who aren't, you know, into hunting. And that's that's the last point I wanted to make was, um, you know, it's not you mentioned you mentioned, oh, it's you know, we're it's tough to attract, you know, new hunters, um, you know, to something like a bear hunt. Well. It's not even, it's not even that in depth. We're just trying, cause it's as simple as just getting the votes, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it, of course, you know, they're probably not going to ever go hunt bears, but they're, they're definitely not, they're not even voting to let others hunt bears, you know, and that's, right. that's, that's the, the root of the problem right there is it's, it's being turned over to just a vote to the general public on yes or no, should we, or shouldn't we? And it gets presented a certain way by a certain person and it's poof, 
you know, it's gone and then, and then it's a slippery slope, but yeah. And, yeah. and, and this, this was my, uh, my thought on the back to the, just the over the counter tags and the mule deer. And, and frankly, this isn't even what we planned on talking about today. And we're still going to get into a tracking mule deer, but, um, who cares? Right. Cause this is, this is where it went. And, uh, and you and I just, it's easy to talk to each other, but, um, my, one other point on the on the tags uh, declining and and so to speak hunter numbers declining you know also at the same time um do you think that that may be because hunters that are still in the game you know are taking it more serious for example when i was a kid growing up we were what i would have considered as diehard of hunters as there was in town here and we hunted one state guess which state that was Nevada, our home state. We even hunted Mm -hmm. one species basically in that state. Well now same, you know, same people 20 years later, my brother and I, and we're applying for every bonus point in the West. I mean, I've got a list of probably six or seven States that we apply for. And so it, you know, instant, it's like, it, you know, it's, it just multiplies exponentially almost when you have, you know, the people who are in it are applying for six or seven states. Well, there might, that might as well be counted as six or seven hunters, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. Right. And so, you know, that, that's, that's my explanation for how hunter numbers can be going down, but overall tags are getting harder and harder to draw, especially the, you know, the quality hunts. And nowadays there's no secrets, man. There's no, you know, it's like you can get on, I, it it drove me crazy just the other day there's a hunt that we hunt and there was leftover tags and i got on one of the platforms and there was a huge boop right there there was a huge um graph showing you know any like hundreds and thousands of people um who are also going to tell their buddy who wants to draw a tag and their buddy's going to tell their buddy and and you know it's just like but that's the world we live in and so you have to kind of outsmart it and i don't know what 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 while we're on that, what do you do to, what do you do to kind of stay ahead of that curve or like, how do you find, you know, and this is the last thing I'll ask you about this kind of general topic, but what, how do you find those tags or kind of what's your, what's your strategy or whatever to kind of sidestep the, what the general public is doing or what are you looking for there? Oh, for, for tag strategy? Sure. Yeah. To, to, you know, to pick up a mule deer tag and not have to fight the masses all the time. Or... <laughs> you, I rely on my friends, man. Cause you, between you and Duggar, you guys stayed ahead of the curve all the time. The new horizons that I've been on the last 10 years are things that either you or Duggar have brought to the table. So I might as well just be honest, man. But I used to just surf. I used to spend a lot of time, uh, trying to figure all this out. And I watched, uh, I would watch what was going on on both sites on and, and Facebook and MySpace, you know, 10 years ago, things like that. I, I used to watch for terrain and for size of animals and experiences and just read other people's stories and get inspired and go try those areas out. That's how I tried the best. I found out about the book clips in Utah and things like that. But anymore, um, I don't subscribe to any magazines anymore. I don't, uh, I guess, I'm 47, been bow hunting mule deer since 94 or hunting mule deer since then. And, uh, I, when I lived out West, I travel, I did so much of it that I banked so much knowledge of so many areas that I, I don't, I, I just don't, I'm not like that. And, you know, Henry's kind of the same way. We we're talking about him earlier. Uh, Henry Ferguson, I think he has the same unit all the time, man, maybe two units, but he just, 
he just goes where he knows to go and, and, he, and he likes what he likes, but he applies for different things here and there. And I think he gets a point in Utah or he's tried Utah, but he, he's really successful because he's, there's a lot to be said about a content man. He is content hunting one buck in his state where he lives. And he's just happy with that. I mean, he, he's very successful at it. I think when you get to guys that get, start getting our age, I'm going to put him on the spot. Like, you know, I think he's a little younger than me, but we're middle-aged guys. We just fine tune things and we find places and we find things we like and we just kind of stick to it. And we're not the one, we're not the ones out finding the new horizons anymore. It doesn't seem like it's the guys like you and Jason and Corey and, and, and some of the, uh, big guys sub 30, maybe sub 35 years old that are, are out finding the new horizons today. And I think you would go about it a lot differently than I did when I was your age. Cause I was still using Pope and young books, statistics and picking up a telephone and calling, having a voice conversation with a deer biologist or something in another state when I was trying to find new horizons for deer, you know? And so it just technology has changed it and the way the young, the younger generation goes about it has changed it. So I'm definitely not a resource for research and scouting anymore. I, and I just, I don't have a problem saying that because I've, I've, I've been to the places that I've been and I like those places and I'm just going to continue going back to those places. And if I see something new, it's probably because I'm riding along with you guys. You know what I mean? Or Duggar called me and said, Hey dude, I found the new frontier. It's over here in Timbuktu, North Dakota. And this is where we're going to go. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, man, hook, hook it up and let's, I'll, I'll see an Aztec and off we'll go, you know? Yeah. But that's kind of some brutal truth right there. And I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm, I've thrown in the towel or nothing. It's just, I have some places I like to go. For me, it's not about trophies. It's about experiences. And most of the experience comes from the terrain. It, where I hunt, where I hunt and the experience that I have hunting is more important than filling the tag or the size of the animal that I harvest. Do you understand? Yeah. So at this age, I have just found places and that is going to lead us into the tracking because the places that you go track mule deer are absolutely my favorite places to go look and hunt and enjoy mule deer. Is that being said, is, is tracking animals a lost art? Yeah. Well, it's hard. I mean, until you, it, there's a learning curve there and until you figure it out till you know what you're looking for and to say, I'm going to specifically go purposely track down an animal, a specific animal and hunt it. Um, it's just like the first time I ever tracked and killed a deer. The first time I ever tracked a mule deer, I killed one. I killed one and it was one of the biggest ones I've ever killed. It was the first one I ever killed with a muzzleloader. <laughs> so, and what I was doing was I didn't know what I was doing. The, the deal is I didn't know what I was doing. It was only like my second or third year living in mule deer country. My wife had bought me this 50 caliber hawk and I'm going to go out hunt deer in this really sparse area that didn't have very many deer and i've been i spent the whole first day bouncing around on my truck not even seeing a deer and so i'm just driving through this canyon and i see these tracks in the mud out in front of me and i get out and i look and i'm thinking they're elk tracks i'm thinking man that was a cow elk and a calf cross the road those are really big tracks so i get out of my truck and it's spitting rain i walk over there and there's these two sets of gigantic deer tracks going across the you know across this road I was on BLM land. I'm like, I can keep driving around and see if I can find a deer or climb up and use my, back then I had some Tasco binoculars, you know, I wasn't a glasser. <laughs> do I go glass and all this or do I just 
strike out after these tracks and see what I can do. And man, long story short, I start following these deer tracks, but I'm, I'm always a student of whatever I'm doing. I'm paying attention to every detail. So I'm cruising along, I'm walking, I'm following these tracks. I'm, but I'm not just looking at the tracks as I'm walking along. I'm looking where the tracks are going. I can see them ahead of me in the wet soil. I'm paying attention to the wind. Growing up as a whitetail hunter, you know, you have to pay attention to the wind on anything you hunt. But I'm, I'm super cautious about the wind. I'm going along in there, and I can just, I think two or three times I backed up and re-approached from different directions. And finally went back to my truck and drove way past the tracks and came out on this bench. I could see the way the tracks went out on this bench, and I just drove past them and kind of went out to cut the tracks again and just happened to be on my belt, hands and knees crawling through these junipers and look, and there's these two giant mule deer bucks laying there. And I smoked one down with my mother loader, the 30 inch three point inside spread, 30 inch three point. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> why this did you, easy. why did you back up and back out and come at them from a different angle? Because the wind direction, gotcha. uh, if I kept the bucks are going to walk, you know, deer don't walk into the wind to see to smell what's in front of them deer walk with the wind at a quartering angle from behind them or from the right or left you know and they're walking they're using their eyes and ears to pick up whatever's in front of them and they let their nose pick up whatever's behind them like predators following them or whatever and so when you're tra tracking one basically you're a mountain lion you know you're following tracks trying to catch this mule deer well the mule deer is walking with the wind at his back so it's really hard if you just start following a deer track eventually you're going to be walking with the wind directly at your back blowing straight to that deer. So what you got to do is see the tracks, figure out the way they're going, look at the land and read the land. Like Duggar says, the water, the land is like water. The, 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 the habitat is like water. Everything flows like a stream. And if you watch the habitat and you just watch how the funnels come together and the, and the, and, and the way the trees come together, you can get an idea of a buck's going to want to lay with a high point vantage point looking back on his back trail. So well, that's what I did. And that's before I even knew Duggar. You know, I barely knew him. So I'm walking along there, following the tracks, and, and the wind would be at my back. And I'm like, now I'm walking dead in these tracks with the wind at my back. So I would just walk off a couple hundred yards to the right till I had the wind kind of quartering with me, you know, or, or, or in my favor, where I tried to get the wind not just blowing straight the direction the tracks are going. And finally, I got to a point out in the middle of this big sage flat where I knew there was no way to cross that without being detected because I could tell I was starting to climb up this bench and there was a little outcropping. I was like, man, the deer are laying up there watching me right now. And as long as they can see me out in this flat, they're going to be fine. But if that, if I get within sight of them and then they smell me too, that's done. I'm going to blow them out. I'm just, I mean, it's just common sense. So I backed out, went back to my truck, drove down the road a quarter of a mile. Now, I saw where the tracks led up to that bench, so I just went down the road a quarter of a mile and just got out and started walking down that bench and then dropped down in this little arroyo thing on top of the bench, and I was going to crawl through these junipers to try to get over to this uh, little oh, a little bench that I thought the deer would be laying on, and sure enough, I crawled through their tracks with the wind in my face, and there they, there those two bucks laid. So it was a lot of moving parts in that deal but it was still tracking what got me on the track of those deer and found them. You know what I mean? Let me, uh, let me back up and then I'm going to, I'm going to ask you some specifics, um, you know, while you're tracking and relative to what you just said, but, um, how, or who, who taught you to track or how did you get into tracking? How did you learn to track growing up? Uh, just, you know, when you're a kid, the first thing your daddy does or your uncle or whoever takes you hunting, your hunting mentor takes you into the woods and shows you deer tracks and deer poop. 
That's the first two things they show you. We're going to go look for sign. Well, I grew up in whitetail country, so we'd go look for rubs. And, my, and Tommy Young, the master, the guy I always talk about, as a little boy, he taught me. I can remember being an eight, nine-year-old boy, and I owned one gun. It was a shotgun, single-shot 20-gauge. And I remember Tommy Young saying, hey, you need to go down there to buy you some slugs and go go hunt scrapes and set on, you know, set downwind of scrapes and shoot you. You know, if I want to shoot a buck, that's the best way. I remember that from a little tiny kid. Well, okay, a scrape. Until I was like 13, I thought scrapes were rubs. You know, rubs are on the trees. Well, rubs are on the trees. Scrapes are on the ground. Ground scrapes were bucks. You know, they does and bucks use the same scrapes and they pee in them and that's how they it's their calling card for each other right so during the breeding season so i as a little kid i grew up hunting scrapes and hunting rubs learning how to hunt whitetails and i started you know looking at tracks and 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 early on i identified tracks because of their uh you know all all deer tracks there's just like a fingerprint they may all look alike but there's going to be something different about them and yeah. if you pay attention to the tracks especially like a mule deer, one of the bucks I killed, I, um, I knew what buck he was because one of his toes were shorter than the other one. You know, and I think I put a picture of that in an article recently, but one of his toes were shorter than the other toe. And when that deer, when I seen the deer get away on day one or two, I just kept going. I walked over to see his track. I wanted to see how big his track was. It was a real big track, but I, he had, he had one toe longer than the other. And when I shot, later i found that track again tracked it. i knew what buck i was after and i shot him sure enough man he had a, one big long toe and one short toe that he got injured or just grew that way or something but anyway to back up uh being a trapper as a kid you had to identify possum tracks versus coon tracks and beaver tracks and all that stuff so i just made sure understanding my quarry you know every animal that i ever set out to hunt I understood the difference between bobcat tracks and fox tracks. Bobcats, you never see their claws. You know, if you see claw, you know, I hear people all the time, what kind of track is this? I think it's a bobcat. Well, no, man, it's clearly a canine. It comes to a point and it's got claws on it. Cat tracks don't have claws. You si know? Size, so, of the, size of the pad relative to the toes. Yeah, yeah stuff <laughs> like that. So um, tracking, I just always assumed animal sign, whether it's tracks, scrapes, rubs, hair in a fence, just anything about an animal is just something I put in my, I put way back in my, just in my, my tackle box. You know, it's just things I use for hunting any kind of animal and understand the tracks or, uh, things about them. So when I set out to hunt that mule deer that day, that was just something I was a pure experience I had. And then later on, as I talked to old school hunters around the four corners area there in New Mexico, I found out there are guys that that's how they hunt. They prefer to get those early season. There was a guy there that taught Jeremy. His name was Kenny Darren. He's still alive, but he's killed a lot of 200 inches uh, over there. And all those unit two units in New Mexico, two C used to be two B. You could get that every single year. Nobody even wanted that tag because you could drive around the forest and not see much more than fork and horns, right? On that early hunt. But what they didn't know is down in the desert, what is now two C man, Kenny Darren, he was down there walking around and he, he would just go out and track bucks all summer and learn where they go when you push them. And then he would just get the tag and then go back and he'd get on the track and set hunters and saddles and things and already know where this two thirty bug or this two twenty bucks. If I track him, 
you know, it's a two-part deal. I'll he'd track the deer to get them to move and then have hunters set in saddles, almost mm-hmm. like a drive. But, I mean, he, that guy just smoked down some giants. And he took Duggar out one day. Duggar had a 2A muzzleloader tag. And was like, oh, I guess I'll eat the tag. And Kenny stopped by. He goes, heck no, man, that's a great tag. Let's go. Took him out. Shoot, like the second setup. He put Duggar in a saddle, went out and picked up a deer track, buck track, started following it. Jeremy looked, had his little son with him. Uh, Dustin was just a little boy then. Looks up on the horizon. There's 28-inch three-point standing there looking back at Kenny coming at him down the track. Duggar just smokes him down in cold blood, man. <laughs> they never saw it coming, man. Just rolled him off the clay hill. It's awesome. So Duggar started doing a little bit. He started learning how to push deer around by tracking them and took me over when I had my two uh, my two A rifle tag. And, you know, we tracked down that big 175-inch four-point. I killed him, you know, tracking him that way. and um that's the one where i identified his track but yeah. uh, i killed another one in that unit with a muzzle loader just i drove i had not scouted just drove in in the dark slept in the back of my jeep got up the next morning drove down the road till i saw some tracks got out got on them jumped a herd of five bucks they blew across a big sage flat jumped in my truck drove about a half mile past them started angling back toward them through the woods until i caught up with them and smoked one at four point with my muzzle loader so uh, tracking a deer doesn't mean you're following a track and at the end of the rainbow is a pot of gold and you shoot it. Following a track means it gets you into deer and you identify whether it's one you want to shoot or not. And it gets you in proximity of deer and you shoot them. Now, most people don't know it, but almost all of the big bucks killed over on the Arizona Strip with Ryan Hatch and a lot of those guys. Ryan Hatch is probably one of the best deer trackers ever lived. But uh, he tracked down and killed like a 220 non typical with his bow, man. He tracked, that's like superhero status right there, man. But uh, yeah, I think I I think you made a good point there, and and without really saying it, and that is you know tracking mule deer could be a lost art, and so I don't want guys to get the wrong impression that oh I'm just gonna go out and start tracking a mule deer this year, and he's gonna be like you said the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You still have to be a mule deer hunter. Yeah, you know you're you're just it's just you're hunting mule deer relative to that mule deer track. And so you still got to be hunting mule deer. Like you were saying, you got to keep the wind. You got to look ahead and see where, you know, identify where bucks are likely going to be. Um, you know, you got to be relatively quiet, you know, you got to, you know, whatever, whatever the scenario is, but I think that's a really yeah. good point. And you're not going to go to Utah on the Wasatch and track deer. That, you're not going to go to some high country willow basin in Colorado and track mule deer. But if you find yourself in low country or any country conducive, I did track. I killed a big buck in 2010. Uh, I knew I was in proximity of big bucks. And I saw there was on the side of this mountain, there's one dirty little mud hole that had a giant buck track in it that was super fresh. And that kept me on that location milling around long enough and later that day i killed 163 inch buck right there where i saw the track but it, it was a track that identified to let me know there's a buck right here somewhere and you'll know you track deer long enough when you jump deer go look at the tracks that's what i did because you know what's the difference between a doe track and a buck track i've seen some does with really big feet does usually you'll see a, a stride of a walking deer that you can cover in a you know you're a little taller than me i'm six two but in a normal stride i can step over all four of a deer stride when a big buck's walking, let's say a big buck, mature buck, he's got overstride. His back feet will come into his front tracks. And I think they, you know, I've heard different things, but old Indian guy told me one time, man, bucks got longer legs because they got to breed does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know. But bucks, when a big mature bucks will have an overstride when they're on a, in a normal walking gait and their hind foot will come up into their front track. You see that, man. You know you're onto a big deer. Yeah. 
that's a big mature deer. So you got to start doing that. You know, you, you want to identify, you know, when you see deer, just when you jump deer or, or observing deer, when they walk away, and you're not going to spook them. Go over and look at their tracks. Just study them and figure out what those deer were doing. That's how I found out what antelope bitter brush was. I follow these tracks and every time these tracks, all these deer in New Mexico, they'd be going along and they would just stop at this certain bush. There'd be and a mil- the, million tracks everywhere, right? Right at, the, at that yeah. bush. Yep. And then all the tracks would go off in the desert some more. And then they'd all congregate to this one bush. I'm like, man, they keep going to this. Well, I went back, pulled up a picture. What is it? It's antelope bitter brush. Number one deer food, man. They love it. And wherever, wherever there's antelope bitter brush, mule deer be eating it, man. Whether it's on the Kaibab, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, anywhere, anywhere you have that. So, I use that just to study, you know, as a study. What 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 is this bush? What are they eating? So, what else? Uh, what else have you learned aside from like the the food that they're eating? Um, more so, more so movements of deer. Like what what are some of the tricks that you've seen or learned from tracking big bucks man, as far as how they move? They're crazy slicks, man. They're <laughs> so smooth, dude. That's 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 the draw right there for me to watch what a big mule deer will do how cool he'll stay under pressure. How I was, I was out hunting one day and I came, I wasn't, I think I was shooting coyotes or something in the wintertime there in New Mexico. And I just walk along. I saw these tracks and I'm like, man, I'm just going to follow these tracks. And I'll never forget this as long as I live, man. I'm walking along this little, there's over in unit two a, I jump these does up out of this little brush pocket right in front of me. And I walk up there and I'm standing there, man, I'm looking to the right and I can just feel this sense of something, you know, like, man, something, something right here. I turned my head, dude. And one of the biggest non-tips I've ever seen, he was just laying there and he wasn't going to move until I made eye contact with him. Mm-hmm. That thing was going to let me walk. I'd walked up too quiet and he knew, and he'd already, he was old, big old butt. And he's like, man, if I move, this guy's going to smoke me down. Well, I didn't have a deer, it wasn't even deer season. You know, I was hunting coyotes or something. And I just walked up there and, I man, I felt it and I turned, I looked and he was laying perfectly still, almost with his head on the ground looking at me. But as soon as I made eye contact, I'm telling you, he was 15 yards from me in the cedars. He blew out of that bed. And I'm like, golly, that thing was going to lay right there. And if I'd have never looked that way, watching those does, you know, they're, they're, they're ruthless, man. They'll, they'll let every fork and horn and doe around them get eaten, smoked down. They're not going to move, but they can get away with it, you know? And then that big buck, I killed my biggest buck ever. Satan's whole buck, me and Jeremy and Larry and, uh, Jimmy Hambrick were all over there in unit two B and do this big drive over on fork and horn Ridge. And man, <clears throat> bucks and does a hundred, hundred deer come blowing out of this Canyon, man. I mean, and one was a real nice 28-inch three-point. He come flying out. I just wasn't quite ready to shoot that deer yet. A bunch of does go out to the left. A bunch of does go out to the right. Drive is over. Jimmy comes over the top. Larry comes over the top. I can see him. They're just going to come walking down over to us where me and Jeremy were up on point. And uh, me and Jeremy just get to fiddle-dicking around, man, just talk, you know, whatever, looking around. Just talk. The, The drive's not over. Until all hunters are completely in within shaking hand distance, trust me. <laughs> Don't ever give up on a deer drive or deer movement or something like that until everybody is – I can see the ground between me and you because you don't know what them bucks are doing. So me and Doug are goofing off. Larry comes down and walks right into this buck. 
at 192 buck i shot walks right up on him buck wasn't gonna get off that hill he'd been down that drill before he wasn't gonna move but larry walked right up on him and he did he jumped up and was gonna go back up the hill past larry so i still would have never seen the buck but jimmy's coming down the hill so the buck you imagine jimmy and larry coming down 100 yards apart down the same slope larry busts this buck he's a little lower than jimmy right he busts this buck the buck puts a j-hook on him the buck starts down the canyon turns circles back is going to run right back up the hill past larry he knew better than to cross that big flat that i was guarding well he ran into jimmy and when he ran into jimmy he's like well crap i'm gonna turn around i gotta go back and when that deer hit that thing Larry starts clapping his hands, making a popping sound. We thought it was rocks rolling, you know, but it was Larry trying to get our attention because he's like, what are these? He could see us on point. And he even said later, what? You guys are over there monkeying around. What are you doing? Man, we're in deer <laughs> drive here. This buck comes. And, and, and so when we hear that clapping, we immediately look that direction. And here comes this buck stretched out like sea biscuit, man, <laughs> wide open, flying across the bottom of the sage flat. And I can just tell like, just looking at his rack compared to his body. I don't know what that thing is, but that thing is big and I'm fixing to shoot it. And that's exactly what I told Duggar. I'm shooting that buck. So I took off running down the end of the point and that buck got all the way across that sage flat and started zigzagging through the trees coming up the same side of the hill I'm on. And I was just watching him. I was like, if he pauses, I'm going to smoke him. I shooting Duggar's 257 Weatherby. And that deer stopped just for a brief second to decide if he wanted to go right or left. I just threw that gun up, put it on him, bam, hit him in the neck. I think it was 300 yards offhand, just dropped him. Big old freaking buck, 192-incher. But that wasn't a deer. We weren't tracking. We were trying to force deer to move, but that deer was not going to move until somebody, and that was like seven, eight-year-old buck. Yeah. And that deer was not going to move until somebody absolutely forced him out of there. And had that been a two man deer drive, I'd have never seen him. He'd have just J hooked the Walker and just went back. So the always watch for the J hook. I was, that, I have, that was one of my next questions real quick though. I want to make a point though on this, on this big buck you're talking about. And then I'm going to have you explain what a J hook is. Um, and, and you mentioned this on the previous buck that, that he was going to sit there until you locked eyes. And this buck, this buck clearly, you know, he, he may have, he may have been hearing you guys the whole time, but bucks are not. And, and I, I just mentioned this on the last podcast, I think, or, or the one with, uh, with old Henry Ferguson. And so I apologize for being repetitive on this point, but big bucks are not necessarily worried about whether you know that they're there or not. It's whether they feel like they're still safe. Yes. They, they really couldn't care less if you see them or know that they're there they're worried about whether they feel safe or not. And it's two different things. Yep. Absolutely. What is a, absolutely. J, what is a J hook? J hooks when the buck turns and goes right back the way. So you just imagine what the letter J looks like. Yep. So you're coming down a ridge, you bust the buck. The buck doesn't run straight away from you. He doesn't go right, left, nowhere. He just gets, he gets, a, he gets enough distance between you that he doesn't want to get caught out in the wide open. And then sometimes you jump a deer and you'll take off running, you hear him running, and you think, man, I'm gonna go over there where I can see him. Well, the bug knows if I go out there, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be exposed. They'll be able to see me. What they do is they make a letter J. They'll start off in one direction and, and then they'll make a sharp turn and they'll go right back behind you the way you, you know, just just right back 
behind you. It's making a giant letter J and it is, a, and, and they learn that early on. They're going to, because maybe the wind's better that way. They can keep you, they don't have to see or hear you anymore, but as long as they can smell you and identify you and keep you somewhere where they can keep tabs on you. And a lot of times that means I want to run back the other way so I can pick up this thing scent that just bumped me out of my bed. Um, and I don't know, there's no scientific, it's not for me, a scientific reason for it. But there's so many hunters throughout the West that use the J-hook or talk about the J-hook. Robbie Denning probably has tons of experience with it, um, being a Wyoming guy and doing so much rifle hunting. But, you know, even the old rifle shotgun shotgun hunters from back east in Illinois and Ohio uh, that do a lot in Iowa, they do a lot of deer drives with shotguns. A lot of the old guys that kill the biggest bucks, let all the youngsters go out ahead of them. And, they, you know, they, they don't even want to set point. And they don't want to walk. They just kind of mill around the truck till everybody gets going and they watch all the drivers. So let's say you got all the point, all the point guys set down on the edge of the corn, the, 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 the harvested cornfield, cut cornfield. So all the guys are in the bushes on one side of it. And the other guys are walking toward the cornfield to push the deer out to get a shot at them. And here comes this old grandpa geezer with his old brownie auto five <laughs> and a slug, <laughs> pumpkin ball slug. And he's going to like, I'll mill around out there. And how many times have you heard it said, yeah, man, the deer got between us and the, the deer were headed over there and they all went out that way. But this one come running back this way. Well, he J-hooked you. He smelled you and he knew. He's like, I ain't going to run across that cornfield. Last year I watched John and Bubba get smoked down out there when I was only a four-year-old. I'm five now and I know not to go out in that, in that cornfield. So I'm just going to go back the way they came because they're all over there, you know, and, and I don't think they reason like a human does, but they know from experience things that work that keeps them alive. And they know sometimes running away from danger isn't always the best way to survive the danger. Sometimes you got to run at the danger, go back through the, the, the gauntlet per per se to survive it. And so whitetail hunters, elk hunters, Elk, not as much because elk's just too big. They decide they're going to go direction. Them jokers don't check Boom, up for like gone. three three counties, you know. But <laughs> deer are smaller and they act different, and their their range is smaller, so they find ways to survive within their range. But the J hook is something that you need to pay attention to because if you do, if you're going to go into an area and you get on a track and you bump a deer, don't give up you certain circumstances are right you're tracking and you bump a deer out in front of you you might just want to sidestep and mill around for a little while and see if that thing don't come back because he's going to circle if the sun's just perfect where he wants to lay up over there and that's that's where he likes to bed unless you're hot on his trails like a mountain lion he knows how humans are they're lazy and they're fat and they're only mm. going to do so much and they're going to move on this deer's just going to get out there just enough space to where he doesn't feel like you're a threat anymore, and he's just going to circle right back into where he was at and lay right back down the same bed, most likely, or close proximity. So a lot of times, man, I'll jump deer, and uh, I'll just mill around. I won't go after them at all. I will not chase animals unless I know I can can get over to this cliff and he's exposed out there in the wide open, I'll get a shot. But if if I bump them in thick cover, a lot of times, man, I will backtrack, sit down, eat a sandwich, or, you know, drink, drink, whatever. And uh, I'll get up and just start back again. And so many times, and most of the time, it's not something I wanted to shoot, but I have bumped deer, backed out and restarted and ran right head on into those deer because they didn't go anywhere. They just stayed right there. And I think a lot of hunters miss a lot of opportunity because they think they've blown opportunities that they didn't really blow. Deer will move around a little bit. Whitetails will go over there and blow and blow and blow at you. And they'll come right back to see what you are, you know? And, uh, 
and and even smart ones, you know, big old mature bucks of any species, they're going to put up with a lot less than younger bucks. But what I'm saying is, it ain't over till the fat lady's singing. And sometimes, I think we just give up on on blown opportunities way too quick, or yep. we think they're blown. And anyway. here's here's the here's the best example that I've ever seen or heard of. Um, I didn't see it, but I heard of it, obviously. Um, and and I've told this story before too, obviously, probably, but um, J- Jason Hubba Whitwer. Uh, knocks down a 192 inch floating main beam buck uh, in Utah a couple years ago. And the way the story went is he had glassed that buck and I just actually went with him and, and uh, I've seen the, the point that he was on and that buck, so that buck bedded on one side of a, you know, just a little bit of a, a ridge, you know, towards the, the top of a point and and Jason went around, put his stock on just like anybody would do, came in from kind of above him, got close. And, uh, and so, somehow, you know, I, again, I, I, I wasn't over his shoulder, so I don't know, but, um, shot at him the first time and glanced a rock in front of him. And so the buck comes unglued, you know, everything comes undone buck runs off around one side of the ridge and and i think jason just kind of sat there and was pretty deflated and and i'm telling you the the there's there's two things here one um is most hunters i think at that point you shoot at a big buck and he runs off that's it they would have sat there and kept sulking or they would have just said you know what shoot man i didn't get it done that was my chance and they would have probably walked out the way they came or maybe been really loud or something like that. I could see myself just, you know, yelling or something. Yeah. Um, and and J- I, I don't think he did that. I think he collected himself enough to say, mm, I'm going to see, I, I'm going to, maybe it's not over yet. And he, and so he decides to, to walk out um, to the edge of this, this point that this buck was on, on the other side to see if he could see where he was going, I guess. And the other thing is he didn't, like you said, like you've making the point, he didn't, he didn't go. I don't think he went right on the buck's tracks. I think, I think he went slightly different way around the, around the ridge, whether, whether knowingly or not. And he, I don't know how far it was. It was, I mean, we're talking, you know, under a hundred yard, uh, little walk and he walks out to the edge of the point just in a little bit different direction on the other side of the point and walks back up on that buck I mean, this is minutes have gone by, walked back up on that buck, bedded down on the other side of that point and shoots him right there in his bed. Second time. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. You know, and that's, that, that's, that's awesome, I mean, man. that, that buck, he, he J hooked, he wasn't even being tracked and he just did a whoop right around that point and bedded right on the other side of that point thinking that, mm-hmm. you know, that danger was gone or whatever. So yeah. Interesting, man. Those big bucks are crazy. Yeah. I think if you, you know, I'm a guy that's had some success tracking, like that's, I don't live in mule deer country now. And when I did the last 15 years of it, I was in Colorado, which wasn't conducive, but the little bit of time I spent per capita, let's just say per capita, the amount of time I spent tracking deer, I was highly successful at it. So very nice deer. It's just something I really enjoy. And I put applications that give me I put in with the thought of, I want to go track deer again. I don't want to go, you know, everyone wants a 200 incher, but when I put my tag strategy, I'm not going, I'm only going to put in for areas where I can probably find a 200 inch deer. I'm not that guy. I go, man, I want to go on a high country bow hunt. 
I'm going to put in for a high country area I know I can draw because I want to go hunt deer that way. Sometimes I put in for New Mexico, especially, um, and if I lived in Arizona or had more experience in Arizona during the gun hunts, I think I could be successful at it there too. But I don't go, I don't apply for areas in New Mexico where the first thing in my mind is a 200-inch buck. 200-inch bucks live there, but I always apply for the opportunity to go track deer. That's why I love 2A or 2C, which I'll never draw 2C, but those are really conducive to tracking deer. It's a really fun, fair chase, a very sporting, fair chase way to hunt an animal. And I think it's just really awesome to say, hey, I, I tracked this deer and shot it. It's got a little bit of romanticism to it, you know, like old school or like Native Americans or mm-hmm. Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett stuff. Yeah, that's cool. But man, until you experience, you like, I'm going to intentionally go set out to track and shoot this deer and and then do it man it's just it's just super super cool but my point was i don't even know what my point was but i i just i i hunt different things for different reasons and and, and oh i know what i was going to say so to say i'm a professional guide tracking guru no i'm not dugger is better at it dugger's not better at it he's done it more than me he's lived in areas he, li- he still lives where he grew up. So he has spent a lot more time tracking deer and figuring out how deer tracks. So he's better at it than I am, but he was taught by guys that are really good. So I think if you ever wanted to have a real hardcore tracking podcast, I would get Jason Carter or Ryan Hatch on the phone. And those two guys make a living at that. Yep. Right. I, they make an absolute living at it. I think Derek Taylor might, might be a good guy too. Uh, he's a friend of John Stallone's I met. Uh, this year at the show, but he, he guides for Mossback and stuff in that, in that, uh, that Arizona strip. I think him, Jason Carter and Ryan Hatch would be great to have on this show. If you ever wanted to really talk me, I mean like the magic, I'm just giving you, Hey, I wrote an article about it. I've had a lot of success in a little bit of time I've done it, but I think I wish I'd have lived. I wish that I, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't change anything. I, I love everything I've done, but I, if I could have done some things differently back in the nineties, when I first moved into mule deer country, I think I would finally, have, I think I would have a 200 incher on the wall and I'd have had a lot more bigger bucks killed if I'd have put in for some less desirable rifle and muzzleloader hunts in New Mexico and Colorado. If, uh, if I would have given up the bow and arrow and went with a muzzle loader, because those opportunities are super easy or easier than any others. They used to be anyway. Yeah. And, uh, I would have, I think I would have, I would like to, if I wouldn't have been muley slayer, the bow hunting mule deer guy, mm-hmm. I would have been muley slayer, the mule deer tracking muzzle loader guy. That's, that's who I would like to have been if I couldn't be who I am. You see what I'm saying? It's just a super cool way to hunt big deer and or any deer, but your opportunity is, is always going to be there to kill a big one in that country. So, anyway. yeah. Can you hear? Can, can you hear Boone yawning back there? Boone, are you getting? Are you? We've getting... been on the phone for an hour. Boone's starting to get antsy. Jeez, Boone. <laughs> well, Boone. Boone, we'll we'll let you go because Mark, you're the guy that you know. I feel like I can call up any time and just hit record, and you know, we would probably have this conversation anyway. And you know, yeah. we we might mix in our secret, uh, you know, our secret super secret units or something like that. But other than that, this is just us BSing and talking. So and I think there's some good nuggets for listeners out there on things that open up some different opportunities. You know, I don't, 
I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer on the whole mule deer thing and the sport and all that. I Man, I want mule deer to come back. So I'm a life member of the Mule Deer Foundation. And I believe everybody that loves mule deer should be a member and do some kind of volunteer work in their state or donate money to the folks that do want to get out and work on it. And, and uh, I think mule deer are just the coolest animals in the world. And I love them. And anytime I can talk about them, I'm going to or try to help others be, you know, any, I, not just anything I can do to help anybody with anything to do with a mule deer is what my passion is. So, you know, I love it. So we can get on here and talk about it anytime you want, but, uh, I would love to see people. I'll tell you one thing, man, having these grandbabies around me, my dad, my, my, my biological father failed miserably at fatherhood. He's just terrible. He just did. He was not meant to be a daddy. You know, it's clear. And, uh, I get the beatings of my life. We'd go fishing. If I made one little noise or if I messed up, and trying to cast him, my bobber made a big splash. I just get the beating of my life, you know, very abusive. Whip me for everything. I'll tell you something. These dads and fathers and grandfathers out there, when you take your kids hunting and fishing, you need to set them up for success right away. And uh, don't make it about you. I, I tell you, dads, don't even take your fishing pole and don't even take your gun. Take the kids out on a doe antelope hunt. Let them shoot an animal. Let them experience it. Let them help clean it. Make sure they're successful. Make sure they eat it and enjoy it. If you take them fishing, don't take them on a trophy, your favorite trophy bass fishing spot or fly fishing trip. Man, take them to a perch pond with a bucket of worms and a bobber and watch them jokers just fill a basket up with brim, clean them, fry them up, pick them off the bone, let them eat them and enjoy it. But if you're going to get more hunters and fishermen into the sport, start them young but start them in a way that it makes it fun for them. Because as soon as hunting is no, and fishing is no longer fun, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. That's why I don't care about trophy hunting. That's why I love shooting hogs. I like shooting coons. I like shooting rabbits and squirrels. And I like eating all that stuff because I'm going to have fun. And if I'm not shooting my bows and my guns, I'm having fun. If my grandkids are watching bobbers go under and drowning worms, catching perch, it's fun. And now, right now, all of my grandkids have caught fish. They all want to go hog hunting. They think that's just about the coolest thing ever. So I've got, I've done my duty, man. I got a pile of them. I got six of them coming up ready to go hunting and fishing. So if I'm, if I'm going to throw any, what do I want for the listeners out there? Take your cousins, nieces, nephews, take somebody new, take somebody that probably is not going to have that chance to go. But when you do, don't take them fly fishing. Don't take them in the mountains with a seven mag. Take them out on the plains on a doe antelope hunt with a 243. Let them have fun <laughs> in the warm weather. Let them shoot something. Take them prairie dog shooting with a 22. Take them perch fishing. So anyway, that's my public service announcement. Well, and here's, I'll add my testimony to what you're saying, um, you know, because the easiest way to, to do that is with your kids, obviously, if you're a dad. And I'll, my testimony is that, you know, 99% of the problems that we're looking at in this country, and I don't care what side you're on, um, or if you're in the middle or you don't want to be a part of it at all or whatever, um, 99% of the problems, um, the, the mass, the massive problems that we have as a country or a people just in general in the, in the world, ironically starts and ends with just good relationships in the home. And I've seen it because I, I've seen it and I live it um, between my family's background of teaching and seeing 
you know, growing up around my dad being a teacher and my wife's now a teacher and my grandpa was a teacher for his whole life. And so I've, I've, I've just seen too many years of experience and I, I understand the dynamics of certain uh, kids who have problems and, and the ones that don't and, and the common denominator is almost 100% the home life that they have. Um, I've seen it in my church, uh, I, you know, time and time again. Uh, the kids who get through life and figure it out and become good contributing members of society, um, they have a solid foundation at home. And and here's my point is hunting or mule deer hunting or antelope hunting or rabbit hunting or squirrel hunting or fishing or anything to do with the outdoors is a, just a good tool to accomplish that. It's, it's, yep. it's, it's a fun, healthy, uh, in, you know, passion uh, that's easy to accomplish uh, having a good home life for a kid so that, you know, so that you can be different than your dad was and be a good, um, a good father, a good dad, and, and, uh, and, and kind of start solving the problems that we all struggle with, uh, in the country from the, from the bottom up, you know? Yes, sir. Love, yep. love, love on each other. Love. It's just the word. That's the word. Love, <clears throat> love, love, love everybody. Love everybody the way God wants to love each other. Love your kids. Love your friends. Love your enemies. Hey, I make it a point every day to go on social media and find somebody that rubs me wrong and like their picture. It just it <laughs> makes me. I, they, I'm 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 just a normal dude, man. I'm a normal human being with emotion. There are people on social media that I have followed or pretend I'm their friend or act like I'm their friend. I don't pretend I'm their friend, but. I just, maybe I just don't like the guy. I just don't like the way he words things. I don't like his language. I don't like how selfish he is or she is or how much every single time they make a post, I'm like, yeah. man, every single thing is about you or it's not, there's no learning to it. You're not uplifting some other person, but I'm making a point to go like something they said that day, because you know what? You got to love everybody. So yeah, no, my point I've... there is, 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 is part of the hunting industry how it became an industry is beyond me. There's no rules. Over, you know what I mean? You can't call yourself a professional football player unless you have experience and are drafted and contracted, but any guy can go buy a 270 and call himself a professional hunter. You know, it's just, there's no, there's nothing that says you can't. Right. So that's a whole nother ball of wax. And it puts a lot of guys off to see these titles and all this thing. But you know what? At the end of the day, that is a child of God that is loving the outdoors and I'm going to love him for it because it's easier to be his friend than to hate him. You know, it's easier that's... to say, you know what? I love this guy. Cause he loves it. Like I love it. He does things differently than me, but I don't have to hate him cause he's different. I've learned to love him because he's different. And that's the hardest part of growing up. Yep. And I'm, that's, I, I, I would say I'm in the, the very beginning stages of trying to figure out how to have that charity or that pure love of Christ. Um, because, and, and here's just a, you know, I've, I've seen what you're talking about with you specifically, um, where, you know, years ago we would talk and then be like, oh man, can you believe what so-and-so is posting or can you believe? And then, you know, a year later I would see that same page and you, you would be commenting or following or liking or whatever. And I'm like, wait, what the heck, you know, like that, oh, you know, like, oh, two timer or whatever. Well, yep. it, it took, it took years of me just, uh, you know, maturing to understand, um, that you were making a progression there in your own life. You know, you yes. were, you were, um, because it's, it, it takes a big, what here, here's, here's my thought is it takes a big man to just unfollow people that you don't like on. So now 
I'm not saying that you have to follow people who are just flat out inappropriate. That's, that's kind of my, you know, if you're, if you're inappropriately dressed or you're showing your, you know, I'm probably not going to follow you or you're saying a bunch of swear words or whatever. I'm not, you know, I just mentioned Joe Rogan and he swears all the time, but, but generally speaking, I don't, um, I don't follow that a lot. Um, but it, you know, it takes a big man to just unfollow. It takes a bigger man to find something that you have in common with someone who's different than you and, yeah. and still find a way to love them. Like you're saying. That's where I'm at. Yeah. That's where I'm at, man. And I, I immediately, when I find myself wanting to unfollow or, or I have a negative thought, I just look at it and go, huh, I remember when I was that way. I don't know what people thought about me when I was like that. Or maybe I was like that just the other day. Or, you know, part of me can appreciate this piece of it. So I'm not going to unfriend them because I don't like 90% of it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like it and follow it and comment on it because I like 10% of it. You know, you know what I mean? It's just, it is a progression of maturity and a, and a sense of tolerance. I mean, I work every day. Tolerance, tolerance is a, you have to work at it. Some people are born with it. You know, Duggar was born with the greatest sense of tolerance I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the most humble, gracious man I know. I was not born that way. And for a long time, I was not that way. But as I get older, uh, man, it's, I'm just going to say it. It's going to love everybody. You got to even love your enemies and find because eventually, man, you know, what if what if I never engage with this guy? Say this guy, I'm, he's pissing me off because he's not a follower of Christ. He's saying the things that let me know where he's at in his life. And what if I unfollowed him? Now I just abandoned him. I turned my back on him. I'm never going to have an opportunity with him. But what if I liked it? And the next thing he said had a swear word in it or an inappropriate picture of his wife or something. And I liked that one too, because I liked what they were doing together. You know, maybe I liked that the fact that they were at the beach or maybe I liked this or that or the other, whatever. Eventually he's going to post something that I do like. And I might comment and say, Hey man, I like that. Well, that guy's following me and he sees the example that I'm leading as a father or a leader of this household. And I've had this happen to me so many times on social media. I'll get a private message, man. I've, I've followed you. I admire what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But I feel lost. I don't know Jesus. Boom. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Right. And we just start talking about it. I brought people to salvation through social media and those people I didn't even like. And that's a true testimony. So the more I do that, I don't even really want to boast. I'm not boasting about it. I'm just setting, I'm just saying, Hey, because I changed my way of thinking, I was able to do what the Lord wants me to do. Cause he changed, I, I changed, you, you know what I'm saying? So it changed the circumstances. So anyway, man, way off, way off topic, nope. but that but, is, that is the topic, man. That's the great thing about this podcast is it always is going to go back to uh, just loving each other and, and, uh, and God. So it's not yep. off topic. You're, you're one of the good ones, man. Um, get your kids out there, you know, just do something this week or this month or this year that, you know, that, uh, just be a, be a better dad, be a better mom, uh, you know, be a better uncle, aunt, whatever situation you're in, cousin, brother, sister. Um, Mark, thanks for coming on. I, so I'm going to, I'm going to do the, up the, uh, uh, shortened version of my fire round. I'm just going to ask you one question in the fire round. And okay. it's just going to be something random that I'm looking at here in my little office. And, and so it's a this or that, bear spray or pistol in bear pistol. country? <laughs> pistol. 
always a gun, man. Okay. Yeah. We'll get you on we'll get you on another time to hear that story and, and that reasoning, but that's it. You heard it here first. Mark, I want to give you credit for um the first thing on relative to this, I mean, I give you credit for a million things, but I'm keeping it relevant. I'm trying. Um, being a member of the Mule Deer Foundation, you know, that that to me says you're putting your money where your mouth is as far as oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a Mule Deer guy and I love Mule Deer. And you know what? You're a lifetime member of the Mule Deer Foundation. So, um, and I've, I've seen you be actively engaged in recruiting, you know, new members, myself included and stuff like that. So, uh, always give you credit for being a family man. Uh, now, if you know a family grandpa, that's uh, clearly just putting your grandkids as a high priority, and then uh, give you credit for, as always, just being a you know a follower of Christ and and a child of God. So, thanks, brother. Yep, I appreciate it, thanks. man. Same all that all that right back at you and your wonderful family, man. <laughs> all of you. Okay. Love you, buddy. Thanks for coming on. I don't need to ask you why you hunt the backcountry because um, you've already answered that in the, I think, episode three that you were on, the first one, I believe. So yeah. that'll that'll bait people into going and listen to that whole, <laughs> th- whole thing if you haven't yeah. already. So Yes, sir. Okay. All right, Dustin. Well, I love you too, man. Yep. See you, buddy. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.